In episode 444 with Michelle Shalfant, we talk about setting healthy boundaries, dialing up your self-worth, codependency, inner child healing work, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because Michelle shares about her child chair, adolescent chair, and adult chair process. And you're going to have to listen to the whole episode to understand what I'm actually talking about. And for those of you that have never heard of Michelle, she is a licensed therapist, holistic life coach, author, podcaster, motivational speaker, and developer of the adult chair, a transformational model of self-realization. There you go. I just gave a little bit of it away, but you're going to have to dive into the episode to uncover these three chairs, the child chair, the adolescent chair, and the adult chair, and how it can transform your life. And her extraordinary work has helped people all over the world improve their relationships, become unstuck and develop healthy self-love. The Adult Chair podcast is where simple psychology meets grounded spirituality. Her audience receives practical tools and techniques they can use to access their personal power and transform their lives. And she has had over 25 years of experience in all areas of self-healing. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 444. Now let's dive in. Beautiful, Michelle. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh my goodness. A smoothie. I have a lot of smoothies for breakfast. Yeah. Yum. What was in your smoothie? I put the raw meal protein powder and then I put the collagen powder and then I put blueberries and I put like handfuls of kale or mixed greens and, you know, a little flaxseed. It's a robust smoothie for sure. Yum. Smoothies are the best. I love them. (laughs) What did you have for breakfast? I had a smoothie bowl as well. Well, I had a liter of water and then I had an organic cold pressed green juice and then I had my smoothie. Yum. Yeah. I drink a lot of water too. I love it. And yeah, you guys are in summer. Aren't you in summer over there in Australia right now? Yes, we are in summer. So it's beautiful. The weather is amazing. It's, It's heaven. So you get really beautiful fresh fruit right now because we're like still in winter and kind of yucky weather here. So yes, we've got the most beautiful fresh produce and fresh fruit, tropical fruit and all in season. It's it's amazing. I love it. I'm jealous. <laughs> you have to come visit one day. Oh, you trust me. It's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so excited for this conversation, hun. I would love to hear how you got into your work. How did this unfold for you? You know, I know a little bit about your story. When I was reading about you, I remember thinking, my gosh, we have similar stories, somewhat similar stories. But I 
I'm going to like squeeze it way down here, but I was raised in a family that, you know, on the outside looked really healthy and loving. And it was, it was, but there were some things that happened along the way. Like my father had an identical twin brother that was, you know, the abusive, uh, emotionally abusive toward my mother. Anyway, all of that stuff was going on. So by the time I was in high school, I realized something's not right, you know, and now I know it was anxiety. Now I know it was depression, but I did not know what it was because nobody back then talked about it. It wasn't like now where people talk about it all the time. There's a therapist in every corner. When I was going through this, nobody talked about it. So I had all these really mean thoughts in my head. I had really lots of ruminating, just very depressing thoughts going on all the time. But on the outside, looked like this, had a boyfriend, had friends. You know, I looked very quote unquote normal. I looked really, you know, like everything was fine, but not on the inside. And then going through my master's undergrad, I got an undergrad in psychology and master's. And that's where I realized I'm like, wow, I think this is depression. I didn't even know, did not know what it was. So I've always also been a spiritual seeker. Like I have always loved meditation ever since I was a young girl, like meditation, intuition, energy, all of that. Even though really it wasn't around back then, there was no Google. I was just really drawn to it. And thank God my mom's friend would hand me books. Just she, she'd say, I think you'd like this. And I remember the first book that she handed me was Many Lives, Many Masters by Brian Weiss. And I was like, I was like 20 years old. And I said, oh my gosh, like this is what I believed my whole life. I just didn't, nobody ever taught. I was in Catholic school. Like nobody talked about that, right? And then she gave me, I think you said you're, you're I read on your website, you're reading Conversations with God. Read that. And I was like, yes, like it just resonated so deeply. So I always had that life, you know, since I was a little girl, I just always felt that inside of me. And then feeling depressed and anxious and also having a draw to work with clients as a therapist, I went on to become a therapist. I started working on myself using everything under the sun. I, I've worked under some incredible mentors and have been certified in just about everything. And about 10 years ago, I honestly, it was just like a combination of 25 years of work it just came together based on, again, teachers and experiences I had with my own clients. And so throughout the years, of course, I was getting better. I was healing. And what I realized was in one of the classes I was taking, I said, it was like this, you know, God experience, like a lightning bolt came through me. And I remember listening to our instructor and I was like, I know what everybody needs. Like, I know what the struggle is. We don't know how to be healthy adults. We don't know how to be emotionally healthy adults. So that's where this whole adult chair model was born. And I took everything I have learned and poured it into this model. And it's, you know, grounded spirituality and simple psychology have come together and you can plug it into absolutely anything. And yeah, so that's kind of where I am today with the adult chair model and so much going on with the adult chair. Yes. So this is what really perked my interest when I first discovered you was this concept of the adult chair. I was like, what is she talking about? Like, what is this adult chair? And you actually talk about three different chairs, the child chair, the adolescent chair, and the adult chair. So what are these? Yeah, so they are three distinct phases of our lives. Every human goes through them. Some of us healthy, some of us not so healthy, and some of us, you know, both. So you start, we all are born. So from the age of zero to six, we live in the child chair. So this is where we learn about true, true emotions, true needs, like I need a hug, I need you to kiss me, I need you to tell me that I'm okay, that kind of thing. Spontaneity, passion, intimacy, all of these things happen from the age of zero to six. After age six, 
the ego really starts to come online. And when the ego comes online, we realize we're separate. We really start feeling like, wow, you know what? I'm not part of my mom. You know, when we have babies, as you know, the baby feels like it's part of the mother. You know, it's in the same energy field as the mom. The ego comes in and says, you're separate. So when the ego says you're separate, the ego then creates for humans this unconscious desire to make sure that we're part and we stay part of the tribe that we're in. So we start changing who we are. We become who our parents want us to be. We become who my friends want want me to be. So I start covering up my true essence. And when babies come into the world, they're a beautiful spark of light. I mean, they're just beautiful with no wounding, you know, no ideas about anything. And then we learn all of these things from our family, from our friends, from coaches and teachers, et cetera. And this is a big part of this, what I call the adolescent chair, is the development of the ego. But really, it's where we learn to cover up. It's where we learn how to stay alive and how to stay in our groups, how to stay in our friend groups. Um, And then, so we go through this whole thing from the age of six to about 25. 25 is when we have the prefrontal cortex come online, the executive functioning comes on. And if we had healthy 25 years, we slide into what I call our, our adult chair, which is the healthiest version of ourselves. So when we're in the adult chair, we live in the moment. We live with fact and truth instead of story and assumption. We live with presence. We live with the understanding of setting boundaries. We're empowered, all of these beautiful things. But what I have found in 25 years of, of working with clients as a therapist and a life coach is that we physically are human, or excuse me, are adults, but oftentimes we show up like teenagers on the inside, right? <laughs> you know what's really interesting? I had a business coach one time, and it's not just business coaching. It's never just business coaching. It's always It always feeds into life coaching as well. And so my husband and I were doing business coaching for one of our businesses together with this man. And he taught us this concept of child and adult. And he said that when you are reacting like a child, you will get a childlike response back from your business partner or your husband. And for example, in this situation, it was my husband and I. And so he said to me, Melissa, when you are acting from your adult, you'll get an adult response back from Nick. So it's like adult, adult and child, child. And what do you want? Like, do you want a childlike response back from your husband or your business partner? Or do you want an adult response back from your partner or business partner? And from there, I have always taken that into consideration in every interaction with my husband and also with anyone. Like if I'm reacting like a child, I'm going to get a childlike response. But when I'm in my adult, I'm going to get an adult response. So I love that when you have people in your clinic, you get them to talk things out through these three different chairs. So you actually have three different chairs in your office and you get them to talk things out through those three different perspectives. Tell me why you do that. Because it really helps when we get the full body involved in our emotions. So when the full body is involved, people go, oh my God, you know, oh, I so get it now. And I don't see clients anymore. But when I did see clients, I would have them, I'd have my chairs, my three chairs set up and I'd say, go ahead, check in. How was your week? What's going on? So they would go walk in and they'd go, okay, well, you know, I was really upset with my husband and we had this fight and I blamed him and I didn't apologize, adolescent. And then I would say, okay, now what happened? How did it make you feel emotionally? Then they slide into the child chair and they'd say, oh, made me feel 
you know, really bad. I was really hard on myself. It didn't feel good at all. And then I'll say, okay, so what was true? Get in your adult chair. And I'd always invite them to sit for the present moment awareness. I'd say, get really present before you answer this. And I'd say, tell me what's true. What's fact and truth about all this? And they'd say, I remember this client said, um, well, you know what? I had a really, really, really hard day. And I just heard that my mother was not going to get out of the hospital. And I think I just took it out of my husband. And I said, so what are you going to do now? And she said, I'm going to go and I'm going to apologize because you know what? It wasn't on him. It was, this was on me. I was like, there you go. And she goes, why didn't I think about that before? <laughs> and I'm like, because you didn't, you know, these chairs carry an energy. And when people sit there, like when people are in the adolescent chair, they go into story and assumption they're, and they're, they're talking really fast versus being present in this adult or being childlike in the child and coming up with their beautiful emotions and needs. So people would just hop different chairs and they would get it. It was amazing to me. And even when I would do Zoom calls, same thing. I would say, okay, pull out those kitchen chairs over there. And they'd say, okay. And they'd hop chairs. It was incredible. Incredible. So how can we take this understanding and implement it into our everyday life? You know, because when we're in the heat of an argument with our husband or triggered by a friend or a business partner or whatever, how can we take this understanding and use it in the moment before we react It's a great question. There's one question that I teach everybody to ask, which is, what chair am I in? So when you ask that question, what chair am I in? It Again, it it lights up the prefrontal cortex. It puts you in the adult. And it's like you wake up out of a dream state. You go from unconscious where the adolescent is into conscious mode. And it's like, whoa, I remember one time I had come home. I picked up my kids from school. They had like an interaction with some of the moms at school. And I'd walked in the door. I drove the kids home. Didn't think anything was wrong with me. I didn't feel off or anything emotionally. And I walked in the door and I walked straight into the pantry. (laughs) I started eating chips and cookies. And I was standing in the pantry eating. And I sat there. I said to myself, Michelle, what chair, what, what chair am I in? What is going on? Boom. And it was like, I remember I had a chip like this and I go, hold on, what's going on? And I put everything down and the craving stopped. I walked out into the kitchen and I sat there on the chair and at the island and I said, okay, what's going on? And I sat with it and I, tra- I, tra- I traced it back to at school. This mom had said something to me. It was not a huge deal, but I didn't like what she said. I can't even remember now. Some comment about my kids or something and I was a little bit miffed at her and I was like, whatever. But it hurt and I didn't say anything. I thought it was, no- I kind of brushed it off, but it really hurt whatever this woman had said to me. So I was eating my hurt. But once I had the awareness, I was like, okay, so then what do I need? I love inner child work. So I pulled up my inner child. I said, okay, what's going on? And she says, I'm really hurt because that that's who would feel the hurt. And I connected with her. And honestly, Melissa, the food craving was 100% gone. I felt better. I felt more in balance again, back in my adult chair and life went on. Like it was asking yourself, what chair am I in? It snaps you out of that illusion. It puts you in present moment and you realize, wait, I'm not in my adult. How do I get here? because this is where I want to be. So people really get it. Even without chairs, like in front of you, they get the concept of three different chairs, even in their head, like, oh, there are three different parts of myself. Yeah. Three different parts. So it's powerful. Absolutely. And inner child healing work is so powerful. It's probably the most profound healing work and transformational work that I've done and experienced. I just love it. And I want to talk to you about inner child healing work in a moment. But 
what do we have to do now as parents so that our children don't need to do inner child healing work? Like, I am so conscious of this right now. I have a nine-month-old and I don't want her to be having to have therapy and see psychologists and, and do inner child healing work. So what can us parents do and future parents do so that our children or future children do not need to do the inner child healing work? Yeah. Validate your kids from the beginning for who they are, not who you want them to be. That's huge. And not just validate them for, let's just say they get great grades. Okay. So oh, I'm so proud of you. So like sometimes kids will only hear, oh, you, you have such great grades. I'm so proud of you. Unlike your sister, or I'm so proud of you. Unlike, so no, I'm so proud of you for getting great grades, but what else? How about I loved how kind you were to the lady at the grocery store. So then you're validating kindness. I love that you took a risk and you tried out for, you know, as they get older, like soccer or something. Wow, I was really proud of you that you did that. So you're validating all aspects of the child. Like I said, I really believe each of us comes in where we are a unique soul and a parent's job is just like taking care of like a new little flower that's growing. You water it. You put it in the sunlight, you talk nicely to it, but you have to validate these children. And I remember a client I had, so the father was a football player. He was this huge guy. And the wife, they had a son and the son was like in middle school. And the wife, the mother had come in and she says, I don't know what to do. She said, my husband, you know, he's like six, five, he's almost 300 pounds. He played football in college. He wants my son to play football. My son also is huge. He's six feet tall. He's in eighth grade. He's got a huge build. He's clearly looks like a football player, but he wants to do art. He wants to be an artist. And she said, my husband's having such a hard time with that. He ignores him. He's forcing him to try out for football. I'm like, no, that's not. And it's hard. Like it's not who your son is meant to be. That's not what he's here to do. We, we can't control, you know, I find all the time parents control, they want to control their kids. After age 12, 13-ish is when we further let go and we let go even more and we let go even more so that then they can fully bloom and leave the house and go to college or go work or whatever that they want to do when they're 18. But we want them to be ready to do that. And we do that by letting them. Here, I have a great analogy. When you have a baby, you've got to have that kid on a one-lane expressway, right? And so you are the guardrails. As the child grows, you expand the lanes of the expressway and the guardrails get wider and wider and wider. And then by the time they're 18, they're on like a 20 lane expressway. They're doing this and they're supposed to do this so that then when they leave the house, they've experienced all these things under your roof and they've learned and they're safe and they feel intuitive enough to go out then on their own. So I find parents get way too controlling and do not let them bloom. And they really control who they want them to be instead of who the kid really is. Yeah, 100%. I feel like our role as parents is to provide all of these opportunities and experiences to our children, whether that is a language, art, music, dance, football. You know, we can put all of these things in front of them and then it's their job to see what they lean into. And then once they've lent into something and they find that interesting and they want to explore art or dance or football more, like then it's our job to support them in that. 
So I feel like, yeah, it's our job in those, especially in those early years, you know, under 10, it's like, let's provide them with all of these beautiful ideas and opportunities and painting and art and singing and dancing and football, whatever, and then see what they are drawn to, see what their soul is lit up by. So I absolutely love that so much. And everything you're saying is resonating so much. And I know since having my daughter, this is something that's been on my mind. You know, I don't, I don't want her to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on therapy and do inner child healing work. So validating our children is really important and not just well done for getting the good grades. It's, yeah, you were really kind. And and wow, I love how you gave Sarah your toy when she was upset. That was really sweet of you. You know, things like that. So I love that so much. And on the flip side, if we are an adult right now and we realize we do have to do a little bit of inner child healing work, where do we start? Okay. So I actually, I want to, I want to give this to anyone that wants to listen to it. I'll give it to you at the end, but I have an inner child resource. It's free because I am such a firm believer in inner child work. It's on my website. So where do we begin? There are many ways that you can access that inner child. One is just asking yourself, because remember the inner child is the container for, or the source of your emotions. So just asking yourself the question, what am I feeling right now? Like, what am I feeling? Dropping your awareness inside and just asking yourself that question is actually accessing the inner child. Another way to do that is also to close your eyes and visualize who's in front of me. I'd like to speak to that part of me. What's the younger part of me look like right now? And you're not going for it. Like a lot of people think you have to go for what you think you look like when you were five years old. No, you drop your awareness inside, close your eyes and say, I want to talk to my inner child part who wants to come forward. It might be a two-year-old and it might be a five-year-old. It might be an image that you don't, that you've never seen in photos. So just be really open to what shows up, what or who shows up. It might be the baby you. So that part of you wants your attention. So no matter what part comes, you talk to that part. But that's the first step. And some people that are not visual have a hard time like, oh my gosh, I did it wrong. No, you're just not a visual person. So what do you sense in front of you? You know, close your eyes. Do you sense something? Yes, I sense a presence, sense a presence. Wonderful. Maybe you're auditory. I hear words. Great. So you just start asking that part questions like, hi, it's me. And I usually say, it's me. It's Michelle. I've come back in time to meet with you. You know, I'm an adult now and I give my age. I tell the little girl a little bit about what's going on in my life right now. So they understand who I am. And I'll say, what do you want me to know? I am here with you. What's going on? How do you feel? And I dialogue with that part of me. It is so, so powerful. And it helps to heal those fragmented parts that might be stuck or had a trauma or that are sad or scared. It just helps to integrate into the self. Mm, I love that. It's so powerful. Honestly, inner child healing work has been some of the most powerful healing and transformational work that I've done. I have an inner child healing meditation and I do it so often and I just love this work so much. And I also love you've spoken about the different parts and internal family systems. They talk about the different parts. And I love that because it takes away the enormity of some feelings, you know, because we can say, I feel sad, but no, there's a part of me that feels sad or I feel angry. No, there's a part of me that feels angry. So that's something that I've loved and learned from internal family systems that I've implemented into my life. But what I have realized after working with 
so many women online and in person is that at the root of most of our issues is a lack of self-worth, a deep lack of unworthiness. How do we identify if we have a lack of worthiness and how can we increase our self-worth and keep it high? So the way that we know we don't have self-worth is we just feel bad. We feel badly about ourselves. We feel bad about who we are. We don't feel worthy of setting a boundary speaking up for myself, speaking up that I'd like to go to dinner over here and you want to go over there. So we just don't feel worth very much. So the ways that I teach people how do we how we raise self-worth is that number one, I have them do an identity list. I have them start to build a new foundation of self. Because when I sit with or I used to sit with clients, I'd say, okay, listen, what what's true about you? nothing. You know, I'm no good. You know, they know all of the negatives, but what do you like to do? Do you like to garden? Oh, I love to garden. I love to go for walks in the, in the sunshine and I like to go for hikes. So I have them start writing all of those things down. So it's an inventory of self that they're not aware of, that they miss. Because when we have low self-worth, we're not focusing on any of that. We're focusing on all the other stuff. I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible dad. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible whatever. But what's, what else is, who else are you? I like to eat pizza. I like to eat, you know, mangoes. I like to eat whatever it might be. They write a whole entire list down. I'm a daughter. I'm a mother. I'm whomever. Once they get that list down, I have them look at that and read it over. And oftentimes when I'm doing it, again, I'm very experiential with the work that I do with my, I have a coaching business or coaching school. So I teach my coaches how to do it. So I'm like, get blocks, get stones, something. So when I used to sit with clients, I'd have them sit in front of me and I go, each stone would represent a new part of self. And at the end, it would be like this beautiful thing in the middle of us on the floor. And they would, oh my gosh, everyone would want to take pictures. And they'd look down and go, that's who I am. Yeah, that's who you are. Oh my gosh, I didn't know. Then I'd ask them this. I also use parts work in the adult chair model, but I don't, I don't know. I, I've heard of IFS, obviously, but I've been using a different type of parts work. It's very similar to that based on the same kind of thing. We are made up of all kinds of parts. But then I say to them, what part of you is telling you that you're not worthy? You know, and then they would, they would say to me, oh, I don't know. Well, let's drop inside and let's find out what is it? You know, is it a part of you? Is it a human form? Is it a blob of green energy? Is it a wall? Whatever that might be. So then I have them work with that part and it might be a couple different parts or three different parts or however many, but we get in touch with a part of them that doesn't feel like that they're worthy. So those are the really two big, very, very big first steps. Then we work with cultivating self-compassion. You know, People that don't have high self-worth have a very negative, as you talk about in your book, inner critic, you know, very harsh inner critic. So we have to learn self-compassion and self-compassion is all about self-kindness. How are you talking to yourself? Are you kind to yourself? Who's your biggest cheerleader? Let's make it you, but let's first imagine that you've got the most loving, beautiful friend that's sitting right next to you and let them speak in your ear, but let it be you. So we start to work with that. Like, Let's let that part of you start being kind to you. And then the last thing that I do is I teach them about mindfulness. I teach them how to, because in our adult, we observe our thoughts. We observe what's going on in that adolescent chair, all the chiming, you know, that's going on. So I teach them about that. We might do like a meditation practice, but there's a lot of observing those thoughts. And it takes practice. As you well know, it takes a lot of practice to really put those thoughts at bay and see them out here instead of 
being a part of you. So that's like the step process, the four-step process that I do with people. I love that. I think it's really important that we separate it from the truth of who we are, which is why I get everyone to create a little character for their inner mean girl, because then it's separate from who you truly are, your true essence. And it also then becomes a lot lighter, a bit more playful and not as serious because I know for a lot of people, this personal development or healing work can feel very heavy and very serious, but it truly doesn't have to be. I agree. It does not have to be that heavy. No, in fact, it can be a lot of fun. Like the more that you get to know yourself, my journey was certainly, I had a lot of tears, but I also had a lot of laughter. It was, it was a lot of fun. I remember I have an adult chair podcast actually. and. um I remember doing putting a podcast out about the joy of codependency. And the reason, because I was very codependent, but the reason I had joy around codependency is because I realized this is the first day of the rest of my life and I get to build and get in touch with this beautiful self inside that I haven't known because I've been busy pleasing everyone else. And everybody loved it. Remember this one guy, he, he emailed me and like, how can you say there's joy? I'm like, there's joy in discovering who we really are. And I had so much joy around it. So I think that the healing path can be really fun. Um, again, it can be hard, but I, I, you have to, it's all how you look at it. How are you framing it up? So yeah. Exactly. And we can choose how we look at everything. It's in our control. It's something we do in the adult chair. We have choice. And, and in the adolescent, we don't feel like we have choice. We have to hurry up. We have to rush. We have to make a decision immediately. When the adult chair, we can wait. We can sit with presence. And it's not like an airy, fairy, zend out chair. It can be, but it's just that you're present and you're waiting until the right thing to say and you're apologizing, you're owning your stuff. So it's a very empowered chair, but it doesn't mean you don't get angry. It doesn't mean you don't set boundaries. You do all those beautiful things. Talk to me a little bit more about healing codependency. What does codependency look like? How do we know if we are codependent? And what are your three steps to heal it? So with codependency, it's when you've, again, lost touch with that true self. You are instead, you think your identity is wrapped around someone else or other. So instead of having an internal sense of self, your identity is wrapped around other people outside of self. So it's all about, you'll know if you're codependent when you are fatigued because you're quote unquote, helping or fixing others outside of you. So it could be that you're always thinking, when you find yourself always thinking about other people and making sure that they're okay, and if they're not okay, it brings up anxiety. All of these are signs of codependency, for sure. The tagline that I use is, I'm okay only if you're okay. So that's why it's exhausting. It's like we have these appendages on everybody outside of ourselves. And the moment that one of those people goes down, it's like we're like an octopus that has legs or arms out on everyone else. And the moment that one of these people go down, then we are exhausted. We feel like we have to rush in and help, quote unquote. We're really trying to fix because if they're off emotionally or they're in a bad place, it affects how we feel emotionally. So it's not even our true emotions, it's theirs. So what we want to do when we're codependent is number one, do the self-worth exercise that I just mentioned. So it's really building up that new internal sense of self separate from other instead of so connected to other. So you want to do those steps. So that's a lot of great work that you can do on building up who you are. Number two, codependency is, is an addiction to other. 
So we've got to learn how to sit with ourselves and go through really the withdrawal of not fixing other. And it's resisting reaching out. It's resisting fixing. And it's so, so hard because it's automatic and we don't even understand that we're doing it. And along with that, it's learning how to feel our emotions because we're not feeling our true emotions. We're feeling other people, we're feeling fear that someone else is, you know, needs a jacket because they're cold outside. Like that would make us stressed and we want to go give them a jacket instead of like, hold on, let me separate myself. Let me feel what's going on inside of me as I look over here and knowing my son needs a jacket and it's 30 degrees outside. I'm going to take a breath. He's 20 years old. I should be okay with that. But I feel like I got to give him a jacket. It's like, no, we want to let it go. Let him be himself. And that's, it sounds so silly. It's so hard when we are codependent. And the last thing that I really advise for people that are codependent is We want to find someone that can help us with our reality because when we're codependent, our reality is off. It's skewed. We don't understand that we're helping people all the time or we're in this fix-it mode. So having someone that can say, that was okay and that was codependent. I ask my kids all the time, I'm like, is this codependent or caring? I used to ask that question. I remember, here's here's a great example. My friend called me, I remember a few years ago, and she said, Hey, uh, what are you doing today? And I said, Oh, you know, I'm going to be whatever, seeing clients or whatever. I said, and I said, What are you doing? And she says, I got to go take my car in to get an oil change. And I said, Oh, what time do you want me to pick you up? So there wasn't like a, and then she started laughing at me and I said, What's going on? And she said, I just think it's funny because I didn't even ask you and you just assume that you have to pick me up. I said, Oh crap, there's my codependency again. So I always invite people, get a coach. We have adult chair coaches. This is what they're trained in get a therapist, get a friend, get somebody that can be a reality check for you that it's codependent or it's truth because it's hard to tell when you're healing this for sure. And that doesn't mean we can't do nice, kind things like drive our friend to the mechanic if we want to. What you're saying is tune in and see where it's coming from. Like, is it a absolute hell yeah, burning desire. Yeah, I've got the free day and I would love to see my friend. Sure, I'll do it. And it's coming from that place of love or is it coming from that I've got to place? I've uh, I've got to do this for that person, that codependent place. So yes, you can still do nice and kind things for your friends and family and absolutely please do, but just check where it's coming from. And wait for the ask. And that's what I did not wait for with my friend. She didn't say, hey, would you come pick me up? I said, what are you doing today? She said, I have to drop my car at the oil change place. And I said, what time do you want me to pick you up? She never, and then she laughed. She goes, I didn't even ask you yet. She goes, and I said, oh shoot, sorry. So it's fine to, I love helping people, but I've had to learn. And again, it's not to say sometimes if like someone had COVID the other day that I know, I was like, let me bring you some soup. Like that's, that's different than every day. It's like a knee, if it's a knee jerk reaction, that's codependency. And the other way that you know is if you have anxiety, not doing it. Like if it brings up this angst or this, oh my God, inside of you, and you start getting all nervous and stressed out, that's a sign of codependency. You can't let it go. So you got to wait for the ask though. You know, people that are codependent, just do it. It's like, it's like, okay, I'll do it. Oh, you need this? Sure, I'll do it. You know, before the person said, hey, will you drive this over here? It's like, oh, I'll just do it for you. It's like, Oh, okay. And people love it. I remember this is like, I healed my codependency, really got on the journey probably about 15 years ago. 
And I remember people would say to me, I don't like that you're healing your codependency. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you don't because you know what? I am like not available and I'm not doing everything for you all the time and exhausting myself. I mean, I gained so much energy when I healed my codependency. And again, it's not like you heal it one day. It's an ongoing journey, but I am way on the other end of it now and it feels so much better. And when someone who isn't codependent then says yes to doing something for you, it means so much more than when someone who you know always will say yes and you know that's just their codependency and it's their habit. And it doesn't mean as much compared to the person who you know when they say yes, they really want to do it. They really want to be there. They really want to help you and they really want to support you. So it has so much more weight. Agree. Agree. Then they're fully in it. They're in their adult chair. They're choosing it. They're like fully present about it. They're all in. It feels good. It feels good. It feels good for both people. Honestly, it feels better for both people. So absolutely. I agree. You spoke a little bit before about boundaries. And I talk a lot about setting healthy boundaries, especially in my second book, Open Wide, because boundaries are so imperative for our health and happiness. But many people, especially women, struggle with setting boundaries. Why is that? And how do we know if we need to set healthy boundaries? And what are your three steps to setting boundaries? Okay, boundaries. I agree with you. I mean, that is, of all the podcasts, like that is one that people want more and more and more information on boundaries. Boundaries are difficult because we are not, most of us, again, it's not an all or nothing. I don't believe that we're raised in environments with people setting healthy boundaries, you know? And of all the 25 years I was with clients, you know, I, when I would say to somebody, hey, I think you might need to set a boundary with your husband, with your whomever, they would say, I'm telling you 90 something percent of the time, people would say to me, a boundary? Well, I'm not confrontational, so I'm not going to set a boundary. I'm like, hold on a second. Who said anything about confrontation? <laughs> I mean, they can be, but it's like, not usually. Like Boundaries are just teaching other people how you want to be treated. They're so healthy, but we aren't raised like that. You know, we're raised to sweep things under the carpet, to ignore, to, you don't want to say anything, just be nice and let it go. No, we need to learn how to speak up and say, hey, that's not okay with me. And can we talk about this? People in healthy relationships have healthy boundaries. So these are all the, I mean, oh my gosh. Okay, I could go on and on about boundaries. So how do we set boundaries? I do not believe you can set healthy boundaries until you do. It goes back to this again, self-worth work. Because if I don't feel like I'm precious inside, I'm not going to feel like I'm worthy of speaking up and protecting a boundary. So it goes back again. You've got to learn how to build up your self-worth. You've got to feel good about yourself in order to speak up. I remember working with people that had lower self-worth or lower self-esteem. And I'd say, well, this is what, you know, what would you say to your husband? And I mean, they would shrink and go, I don't know. What would you say to your mom? You know, I know you're, you're upset with your mom. Let's go over some things you can say. They would shrink. I don't know, because they didn't feel good enough about themselves to speak up. So first you do the self-worth work. Then you got to learn the very basic boundary is this is how I feel and this is what I need. So the next step is learning how to feel your emotions. And I, again, in 25 years, I even have a lot of clients in Australia. 
that say, I don't know, how do I feel my emotions? I don't know. You know, what do you mean? What emotion am I feeling? I'm like, listen, what's going on in your body? So let me go into this, into the body work. Like we'll feel it in your body. So that's again, where I go to back to the inner child. Like, so I do a lot of inner child work just to help people reconnect. That link I just want to tell you is the adultchair.com forward slash inner child. It's two beautiful meditations that walk you through how to connect with the inner child. And then journaling prompts to really help you to connect to that part. It's so beautiful. It's easy. It's free. And it helps people to connect. So it's self-worth. It's feeling your emotions. And then number three, it's learning how to really be present with yourself so you know what you want to say. You know, a lot of people go, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So here's what I'm feeling. What do you need? What do you need? Well, I need so-and-so to stop coming over so late. I would like them to call first. Okay, great. So once we have all of those components, my self-worth is high. I know what I'm feeling. I know what I need. Then we just craft that statement. Hey, Melissa, I would appreciate it if the next time that you want to go out to dinner with me, if you could please be on time because it really made me feel unimportant when you came late. Boom. You're talking about what you feel and you talk about what you need and it's over and it's done. Move on. So it's very, very simple and it's not complicated. And the, when, the other thing that people do incorrectly is they drop in apologies and explanations all in the back. And I'm like, what are you trying to say? Cut the weeds. Tell it to me straight. What is it? I need you to show up on time. Done. Perfect. Move on. But you say it kindly. You say it with confidence. You say it from your adult chair. You say it from a present moment place and you're done and you're done because the the people that are receiving it will feel your energy. So if you feel small and I I shouldn't be saying this, whatever, they're going to feel that. So you really want to get confident and in a place of being able to say it from a place of presence. Changes everything. Absolutely. Versus a defense, you know, versus a knee-jerk you know, why'd you do that? Why'd you show up so late? It's like that. Of course, if I said that to you, you're going to get mad at me and defensive. You can't set a boundary like that. You do it when you speak to somebody, not screaming, yelling. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, these conversations can feel uncomfortable, but what's more uncomfortable? Continuing to have that person show up late every time you organize something or having a quick conversation, practicing CCC, crystal clear communication and saying, hey, babe, you know, you're very often late to when we catch up and it makes me feel like you don't care or it makes me feel like you don't value our time together. And she will most likely go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That's not it at all. You know, she'll probably say something like that. But those moments where it may feel uncomfortable, I just want to encourage everyone to move through that, to breathe through that, because what's more uncomfortable is you ignoring that within yourself and continuously allowing that to eat away at you. And by not expressing it, we're suppressing it. And that causes dis-ease in the body. You know what? And the other thing, if I may add one thing to boundaries, is I say, I ask or I suggest to people, pad the boundaries with something soft on either side. So I might, and people are really nervous that so-and-so is going to get upset. So I might say something like, hey, Melissa, you know, you and I have been friends such a long time. I love that we can share openly with each other what's going on. And so of course, your defenses then drop. You feel like, oh, Michelle, you know, it's so nice her to say that. And then I might say, I just wanted to ask you if you could please call me the next time you're going to be late for our dinner party, because we've had to hold dinner up a few times. I just would really appreciate that. Thank you. 
So when you pat it, you know, either something soft on the beginning or on the end, it really helps when people are hearing that boundary and they're less likely to throw a defense up. But again, not too wordy. (laughs) My husband calls them a love sandwich. So yeah, and you need to do that with your partner and maybe your children is give them a little love sandwich before you share with them what you want to share. For sure. Absolutely. Yes. But just not too wordy. But yeah, I I agree. Just putting a little love around it really helps the person drop their defenses and open their heart and really hear you, really hear what it is that you want to say. And rehearse it. I'll say to people, go and rehearse it in the mirror. Like, go look in the mirror. What are you going to say? Walk around the house. Really get used to saying it out loud over and over and over and over again. So then when you say it, it's like, boom, it just slides out of your mouth and it's easy. It's a lot easier. Yes. I love that. Rehearse it or write it out. That can really help as well. Absolutely. Practice it with a different friend, you know, all that stuff. Absolutely. Let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. This could be a book on any topic. And besides your books and future books, which book would you choose? Oh my gosh. My brain is like, again, for me, I was already waking up, but I love, I think everyone should read that Conversations with God. Honestly, I read it like almost 30 years ago and it just... I still recommend it to people. Such a good book. It really opened, it opens people's minds so much to how the world works. I love that book. There's so many though (laughs) that are coming to my mind. I love that one. I love that one. Yeah, I'm just going to go with that one. I mean, it's just, it's a great wake up book. It is such a powerful book. It is one of the most powerful books that I've ever read. And I read that at the very start of my journey. It's one of the most recommended books. Lots of guests have actually said that that is their book that they would put in the school curriculum on the show. And for those of you that want to dive deeper, I've actually had the author, Neil Donna Walsh, on the podcast. So go and listen to that episode. That was like a dream come true moment for me having him on the show. The other book I just, if I can give you another book, because I love, I love, I'm torn because I love Michael Singer too. Both of his books, The Untethered Soul. Like again, I think I've read it five times. I just read The Surrender Experiment. That was so good too. He's another one though. Just really, it just opens our minds and, and it helps us to remember really who we are and to let go and trust. And again, when I was reading it, I'm like, this is like living in the adult chair. He's living it. He's surrendering. He's living in the moment. He's going with it. And it's like, gosh, I just, if we could all live like that and step away from control, it would just, it would change our whole world. Absolutely. Again, Michael Singer, amazing. I'll link to those books as well in the show notes because they are life changing. For sure. Okay. Let's talk about how your day looks. I want to hear about your morning routine, your rituals, everything that you do and a quote unquote typical day in your life with all of your little rituals and routines that you do. So I wake up every morning and I do a three-minute belly breath before I even get out of bed. I just lay there. I set insight timer three minutes and I do that immediately. And then I do some stretching in bed even before I leave the bedroom. And then when I go downstairs, I love to, after I feed the dogs, of course, I feed the dogs and I come back, I have a lemon water, a hot water with lemon or warm water with lemon. And I'll do a meditation and I go into gratitude. And then I like to read. I think Tony Robbins and other people have said this. So, you know, you really need to read 20 to 30 minutes every single day. So I'm like, if I can just get that out of the way, then if if I fall asleep too early at night, you know, 
it's I've already done it. So I love to read for about 20 minutes in the morning and then I start my day. I mean, my day is crazy all day, but the one thing, I think I told you, so I have an adult chair coaching school now. I mean, I, we have a membership, we have a pot, the adult chair pot. There's so much going on in my day with my company. It's so busy. What the other thing I've had to do, because what I found that I was doing was I would do those, I'd have this beautiful morning routine and then I would tilt into my job, which I love. And the, it's not a problem. The problem is in a way is that I'm so passionate about changing the world. I'm so passionate about what I do. I go full tilt almost into workaholic mode and I don't want to stop. And to me, it's fun to create a meditation for people and it's fun to create a new podcast and to create something new. And then of course, I'm managing all these coaches and I'm teaching all the coaches. So, but I wasn't getting enough breaks. So Melissa, I started doing throughout the day, I would start, I start, I just started doing this like about a month ago and it's, it is changing me already. I insert a one minute micro, it's a micro check-in is what I call it. So I set the timer on my phone for one minute and I'll pause through every single time that there's a transition in my day. So let's just say I'm recording a podcast and I'm done before I stand up and I go do something else. I hit the timer for a minute, close my eyes. I sit wherever I am, do some deep breathing. And then I stand up and I go to the next thing. It has completely changed my life. That practice has changed me because again, I was tilting. You know, I, I would do, I'd have this lovely zend out morning and then I would tilt into my ego, you know, would just go into workaholic mode. Yeah. And it was like overwhelming and my brain would be like, like, I'm always thinking, I'm always creating new ideas. I got to write a book on this and I got to do an online class. On this. So my brain gets all these downloads and I'm writing it down and, oh my God, there's not enough time. And I would get it, like so stressed. And then the evening would come and I'd read again. And then I'd go back. I'm like, okay, what can I do throughout the day? So honestly, every time I transition, I pause for one minute. And you know, I want to know what's really funny is um, when I started doing this, my ego was like, you don't have a minute. <laughs> I'm like, we're taking a minute. I said I would argue with, again, that's my adolescent chair, right? So I'm like, arguing with Michelle's ego. Like, we're taking a minute. No, no, you don't have a minute. I'm like, we're doing a minute. We have one minute. That's it. Set the timer. So I find, and I, I used to share, share this with clients all the time when they would say to me, I don't have any time. I'm like, you have a minute to do a meditation. I created a one minute meditation for my clients. It's on my website. If you don't have a minute, that's a problem. Then you need to be sitting for like 10 minutes. So come on. I love that. I think we can all let go of the excuse of I don't have a minute or I don't have five minutes. Like I often say to clients and to anyone who says that to me, I want to come and sleep over one night and I'll show you where all of those minutes could be in your day or that five minutes. Like I'll show you the, the Netflix at nighttime, the scrolling on social media, like I can find the time for you and I will find the time for you. So let's all just let go of that inner mean girl excuse that we don't have time because we all do. It's about priorities. What you're really saying is meditation isn't a priority for me. That's what you're saying. And so just be honest with yourself. If it's not a priority, just be honest and go, okay, well, is this something that I actually want to do and implement into my life? And if the answer is yes, then do it. But if the answer is no, then don't force yourself to do something that you don't want to do because you'll just keep telling yourself that I don't have time. And the universe hears that. And then guess what the universe gives you? More of no time. You just took the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was just going to say is that I was getting like, I felt like everything in my head was squeezing so tight. I was like, how am I going to get it all done? I got so much to do. I got so much to do. And then 
started implementing, and I used to meditate sometimes at lunch, but again, so that would slice my day in half, but then I'd get right back to work and it was, I would start racing again. Oh, I got to get this done. And I would, I, again, I'm, I'm in love with everything I'm doing. So it's not that it was just, I was moving too fast. And I'm like, how am I going to get done? Since I've done the one minute micro throughout the day, I am finding, I have more ideas. I have more free time than I ever thought. And more is getting done. It's exactly what you said. The universe gives you exactly how you're showing up. So I was showing up like workaholic, doing too much. I don't have enough time. Now that it's, I'm sending the message, I have enough time to sit for a minute. I have enough time to sit for many minutes throughout the day. I have lots of free time. So I've started to change my thinking. And um, this is like, it's a whole new reality that's showing up for me. It's really amazing. Like, honestly. And it's such a more blissful way to move through your life. Oh gosh, yes, for sure. Okay, I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Meditate. What is one thing we can do today for more wealth in our life, so more abundance in all areas of our life? Start acting like you are abundant. And what is one thing we can do for more love in our life? Put more love out. Love more and you'll get love back. I love that. I love it. (laughs) Michelle, you are such a light and you're sharing so much and you're helping so many people. Is there anything else that you want to share with us today? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about? I just wanted to let everybody know that everybody can heal. Everybody can transform. It just takes you have to have the desire and then you got to have the will and stick with it because sometimes it is really hard. It's hard to find your adult chair and live in it all the time because man, we get triggered. That's a big, I talk about triggers all the time too. It's hard when we're triggered and we want to give up. Don't give up because it gets easier as you go along and it's worth it. You'll find that as you keep going, it's just worth it and, and you'll feel better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of those things, everything just lines up and you really do become the person that you want to be and that you're here to be the more that you work on yourself. So keep going. I love that. That's so beautiful. You are helping so many people. You're serving so many people. I want to know what I personally and the listeners can do to serve you today. How can we give back to you? Thank you. Well, I have the Adult Chair podcast, which most people tell me it's like getting free therapy or free coaching because I break everything down so people can really understand what these concepts are like. What is narcissism? What is codependency? How do you set boundaries? I break it down into very small steps so people can understand how to apply it into their lives immediately. So there's the Adult Chair podcast. We have the Adult Chair closed Facebook group people love that group. It's a loving group of souls that just love each other and support each other because we all have struggles. They talk about their struggles and they get help and people will encourage you how to get in your adult chair. I wanted to offer, I talked about the inner child. That's at theadultchair.com forward slash inner child. Again, it's just two meditations that I created as well as the journaling prompts. I wanted to offer your listeners I'm doing a whole month of compassion, of self-compassion, the whole month of March and the membership. And I wanted to give your listeners a month for free. They just use the promotion code MELISSA22. Thank you so much. That's so generous of you. And we will definitely link to all of your amazing work and your social media platforms in the show notes. 
But this has been so beautiful. It's been amazing to connect with you. I love the work that you're doing. I love the chair concept. I think it's awesome. And want to thank you so much for just being such a light in the world. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. Thank you for having me. I feel so inspired to continue to set healthy boundaries, to dial up my self-worth and to continue to do the inner child healing work. It is a journey and you are on the right path, my darling. So keep going. And if you loved today's conversation and you got a lot out of it, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. It also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love connecting with you and I love hearing what you get from each episode. So please come and share it with me. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. 